0: Hi, I'm Kendall Gilding, and this is my 30 Minutes with Abby Coleman. Abby is an Australian radio darling. She currently shares her life with listeners each morning on Brisbane's B105. She's also a wife, a mother of three boys, a TV presenter, and a marriage celebrant, so she wears a few different hats. She's paid to talk for a living, which is why it comes as no surprise that she is utterly brilliant in this chat. I'm always surprised by Abby's ability to be completely genuine and really honest because I find it quite quite hard being that open. The wisdom she shares in this chat is that of someone much older than her super young 38 years. I know you'll love my 30 minutes with Abby Coleman. Welcome. Thank you so much for sitting down with me for my 30 minutes. It's a weekday, so you've been on air this morning. Do you ever get sick of
1: talking? I don't actually talk when I get home. I I think I'm like a husband's dream because I uh, grew up in a household of boys and I know that they like their time when they get home, so I don't actually do the whole day debrief. Um, I mean, I do with the kids, but I, I love talking in the morning and then I'm done. And I guess you come home to a quiet house. I It's changed over the years, so when the kids are really young, then I'll come home and we'll either have a nanny or my mum or a hubby looking after the kids. But once I get a little bit older, then, yeah, at childcare. So this is my couple of hours to do the washing, the dishes, cook dinner, lunches, uniforms, that stuff, you know, the fun stuff. You're
0: amazing because it's not even midday and you've got dinner going, which is awesome.
1: Yeah, I run a pretty tight ship. Yeah, because think- you've got to be organised because after we've just got so many um, kids sports and everything that they go to. And my theory is get the kids to do as much as possible because no one's going to pick up a sport when they're a teenager. So true. So they're going to quit. So I was like, no, nah. that's what my mum did for me. So that's what I'm doing for them.
0: Yeah, I love that. And you do have to run a tight ship if you want to get anything done. What's surprising is you actually didn't set out to have a career in radio. You actually wanted to act.
1: Yeah, I wanted to do theatre um, and I'm so dyslexic and I was absolutely crap at Shakespeare um, and I made it into a lot of like the education theatres but not actually the mainstream theatre and you'd do an ad and then you wouldn't have any work for a while and um, yeah, worked as a waitress in between. This is after drama school and I just I couldn't handle the lack of planning and leaving it up to someone else for my destiny so I was like, no, nope, acting wasn't for me. I tried it. That was my dream and went and did marketing and that also wasn't my dream. So big hex bill. Um, And then I bumped into my old boss um, that I used to drive Black Thunders for, for the radio um, station years ago, bumped into him at a coffee shop and he said, do you want to go back onto radio? I was like, yeah, I'd love to. um, And lied that I had the ability to do all the panels and all the buttons. And he put me on a shift the next day and I couldn't press any of the buttons and the guy that let me into the building um, had to press them all for me and, and he managed to do a shift. Don't know how I did that and we had an air check um, the next day and the boss called me and he's like, so you were terrible. What? And I, was, oh, well, I didn't know how to do it. I lied and said that I could completely do a shift just from doing thunders and he's like, you were terrible but I'm going to give you another go and gave me nights. Um, late nights, so I was trying to do all these other jobs, and then at ten o'clock I would drive into the radio station from ten until midnight. I did that for a month, just volunteer, of course, because you used to be able to do that back then. Yep. Now you wouldn't <laughs> work for free. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then I ended up doing days and fell back in in love with it, I guess, and ended up going. No, I want to do a show, and breakfast was my my dream
0: people don't really realise, say with your night shift, Mm. what exactly it is you have to do because you're in a studio alone and you've got to be talking to an audience but with no one to banter with and you're just creating content in between songs. It's
1: really weird and I think that's when I fell in love with the listeners because I used to get a lot of people calling up and I used to love chatting to them. So I used to put a lot of like listeners on air, which I know that many other people didn't like, but I just, like you said, I used to be lonely in a studio and you'd say something and you'd be like, Is anyone actually listening? So I think once I did a break and I was reading a book, um, I was like, all right, I'm going to read you guys a book and just, this is commercial radio. It never would fly then. And I stopped it and said, if you want to hear the end, you can call up the radio and everyone called. I was like, oh, there's people out there. (laughs) Yeah.
0: So good. Listeners are everything. Before you went to acting school, you were actually on a reality TV show. And this was before anyone really even knew what reality TV was. Very different time to now. You were on the mole for anyone who might remember it. And it was the very first season. You were just 18 and you came runner up, which is pretty impressive for anyone who remembers the show and how it worked. What did that experience teach you? To say yes
1: to everything. Yeah, I know. And now I'll probably give the advice of say no to things that you don't want to do. But when you're young, I think we're getting people coming into the radio station, they're like, I want to be on air. And I was like, that's great but you're not going to start there. You've got to say yes to all the other jobs. So I was doing – I think I was doing a short film and they were talking about this new concept, the reality show was coming to Australia and they were looking for contestants, had no idea what it was, applied for an ad in the paper. Wow. I know. And then I got a call saying, hey, there's a producer that wants to meet you and I said, oh, no, I'm sorry, I'm not really interested. And they're like, no, no, that's fine. Gave me a time um, and a date to meet in a hotel There was a camera there and I had to fill out a questionnaire of like a psych test. Didn't really think anything of it. And then they sent me two weeks later a contract and tickets. They were ANSET tickets and they were actual tickets for a plane ride. Physical plane tickets. And my mum's like, what is that? I was like, I have no idea. So she ended up calling a producer and they're like, we'll look after her because i just turned 18 and, yep, picked up and went. But I met some extraordinary Channel 7 executives at the time and would, they were talking about in the industry, if you don't know what you want to do, because I think I was so questioning what to do with my life, just say yes to everything to work out what you want to do. So yeah, that's what probably taught me to kind of go, right, if I don't know, then I'm just going to say yes until it sort of sits. And now I'm the opposite. Now I say no to things that I yeah. don't want to do. Now it is yeah. a
0: case of, now let's not do let's everything. Let's not do
1: everything. Yeah.
0: And it's uh, quality over quantity. Yeah.
1: You mentioned
0: that what you really wanted to do was breakfast radio. So mm. this was at a time when you were living in Adelaide and say you were doing this night shift and you were you were given a trial at the time and trialled with some on-air talent and you were young and you missed out on that job opportunity. It can really hurt those missed opportunities when you are so young and it can feel really doom and gloom. But with time, those experiences maybe reveal themselves as a good thing. Did you yep. find that, that by missing that opportunity initially, maybe open the door
1: to other extraordinary things? I was devastated. Like, I mean, devastated. And I was really bitter as well. Because it's, when you miss out on something, we're taught that it's supposed to be okay. But when you're really jealous, like I meant really jealous of the person who got it. And because, dare I say, there was people that weren't very sensitive to it running the station. They made me go out into the streets and record promos about what people liked about the new girl, even though I had went for that job Um, because that's just what it was. And it was heartbreaking every time. I was like, no, this is not what I want to do anymore. But it made me start going, okay, wait a minute. Rather than getting so bitter, I said to the bosses, I want to be a fill-in person. I want to find out what else I can do. Um, and And I just didn't have that... You know, sometimes you're like, oh, I shouldn't really put myself out because I don't want to get rejected. Instead I went, well, I'm already rejected, do you know. i am yeah. already got a no. I'm already embarrassed by that situation. And I think when you don't allow yourself to get embarrassed anymore, there is a real freedom to that because I was like, no, nah, oh, actually I think I want to go for the national show. So I just got rejected for the local breakfast show. But I was like, nah, there's Hot 30 and I want to do that. And if I can't get that, I'll just do the fill-in. So they're like, what do you mean? I said over summer there's a fill-in. I want to do that. And they're like, no worries, we'll put you forward. And this was constantly on email. And I just used to email the big bosses, like the big CEOs, where now I don't think I would be that so game? game. Yeah. But the thing is, you if you've got an email, you know how to just write the CEO's name at the front. They're all the same email addresses. It's
0: so true. Do it. You what could are email do? anybody. Ignore it,
1: block it, whatever. So I wrote to them and eventually that came up. And they said, yep, you can do the fill-in. Ended up doing it with Maddie Acton, who I now work with. And I uh, filled in for that. And then I started filling in for maternity leave. And because I had this lack of uh, – there was no, a lack of pressure because it wasn't really my job. So all of a sudden I could be myself on air. And then they said, oh, look, hey, you've done really well over the last few months. And, you know, it would have been six months of doing all this. There's a trial coming. Well, they said to just fill-in in Brisbane. And I was like, that's even a better market than Adelaide would love to go to Queensland. So I filled in for two weeks and because I thought it was just a fill in, sort of gave my permission to do it and ended up getting the job. It's amazing. Yeah.
0: I still love what you're saying about you were so bitter about that mm. missed opportunity and because they trialled you in a sense that you thought you were perhaps being put up for I that was trialling
1: the other guys. So I thought I was trialling for a co-host and I was sort of led to believe that
0: but they were really just using you yeah, to test the guys out. 100%, yeah. Which is, yeah, it's crazy. And but
1: I, it's given me the ability, I look back and I kind of go, I love working with different people now and I was so privileged because I did night shows with different guys that I thought and, and different girls as well that I thought I was trialling them for the show and you would learn everyone's different techniques or different personalities and I felt like I learned because I was trialling them I thought, I learnt how to bring out the best in other people and that's why I always say now, like I like working with comedians because you know you need to let them finish the joke or be supportive and if you're working and I guess this comes back from theatre, if you're working in a scenario, a lot of people are so obsessed with coming across that they're good but if you make the other person look good, you all look good and I think that's, you know, no one leaves a show or a theatre show, you know, if, the, if one person is good, you bring out everyone else and you all look good
0: amazing perspective and especially in radio it's really tricky business because often the personalities you all kind of want to talk over the top of each other yeah. or you've all got something to say. I've worked with people like that. <laughs> the secret is almost allowing space yeah which is so opposite to what people think you all do which is talk but you really need to create room for each other.
1: Yeah I was always ADHD Um, so I'm terrible I still talk over people and I've been working for so many years so I think it's just now I'm blessed with two guys that put up with me and it's shocking and I just did it to you then. Um, but but I think you've I've worked with guys in the past and girls in the past where all they want to do is hear their voice. And I was like, it's not a case of hearing your voice to be good. Sometimes you can say less and be better. <laughs> yeah, but it's egos. Yeah. And it, it's not just in media. You work with people like that in any industry. Very true.
0: But quite a few of them in media. There's something yeah, about there's a <laughs> that attracts a lot of egos. I like to believe
1: that deep down they've got insecurities and that I can – sometimes warm to them more than if I just think, oh, no, they're narcissists. No, it's true.
0: Um, you've been on air in Brisbane on B105 as part of that breakfast team for nine years. That's a huge achievement since you decided to make that jump from Adelaide. Why did you choose to take that job and make the move to interstate? You said before that at Queensland or Brisbane is you know, an even better market than Adelaide. Yeah. What sold it for you?
1: Uh, yeah, I know. I didn't even think of it, to be honest. It was just, it was a bigger market. Um, and my husband and I always talked about going to Queensland and before I got that, I got offered in Canberra and I got offered Sunshine Coast and none of them really felt right. And, um, yeah, we had friends up here. We had no family and sadly I'd never been, oh, I, I think I went to Brisbane for Expo 88. I think my parents brought me up here, but I'd never experienced, uh, Brisbane. And as soon as we came up here. Well, I came up here for the two-week trial, absolutely fell in love with it. And now I don't think we could move. We have had offers in different places and we're kind of like, nah, you're settled. Yeah. We're, we're settled and I feel like now I'm at a point where I don't be embarrassed to settle. I used to always look at people and going, why, why don't you want more? What's your next step in your career? And now I realise for me success is having the balance between family life and career which I never really put importance on, I guess, the personal life. Harvey would hate me saying that. But I just knew, always knew that we were solid and he would always, you know, support me in my career. Where now I need to actually think about what my boys want as well and that's more important to me than kicking career goals.
0: I was going to ask you how you define success, but you've really answered the question.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Family and
0: a bit of work?
1: Yeah, I think. I I honestly do listen a little bit more to um, my heart than my head. I've always gone like I think this, I think that, where now I'm always like I feel like this is the right decision and that's sort of a bit of a move for me. I, even starting to do this job, I would say yes to a lot of things and I would be out hosting, you know, charity events and it felt good to do it but then it started to have a, a shift when I had more kids as well going it doesn't feel right to hear my boys cry when I walk out at night to host a charity gig and I'm doing something good for, for I guess for them but I'm not looking after my little kiddos and I think that's just a bit of a shift where I'm like it feels right to be a bit more of a family unit. For me at this point, there's no judgement to ever anyone else but just for me it feels like I need to be home more. And I
0: think it's very different when you have your own kids. Before you have kids, you kind of think, oh, what a drag having to do this and this and this. But once it's your own child, like nothing is a drag.
1: Yeah. The satisfaction I get when they achieve something or um, I've taught a life message to them is more valuable to me these days than anything else. And I've always wanted to, you know, stand up and say that, you know, yeah. they, and I, look, maybe it's going to be too late for me to pass on this message. But I kind of go, I've always been in a workplace and I'm like, we need equal pay and it's a responsibility of everyone. And I'm not going to nag my co-hosts. They don't make the decisions. But I still f- feel like everyone should be supportive and girls should stand up for themselves. But now it's even so much of making a difference to my boys. You know, I'm bringing up three boys and I should have for them to demand for equality as well. And I think it's teaching those life messages rather than me trying to stamp my foot in a workplace absolutely I think that's a big responsibility and I love that responsibility as well yeah yeah that's
0: awesome and blokes play such a big role in that equality story not just women sort of you know standing on a soapbox chanting that we need equality it's awesome when guys are running alongside us and and I
1: want them to be proud males because I feel by doing it we should say that there's nothing wrong you know when we do International Women's Day and it's fabulous I don't ever want my boys to feel like they're not a part important of and valued and it was interesting to hear him say why do we need International Women's Day and this is my son and I said it's kind of a beautiful thing that you ask that because he doesn't see that there has ever been any differences and for him going into it he won't see that you know like my mum when she would go to university it would be do you want to be a teacher or do you want to be you know a, a nurse where for him my son doesn't see those differences so that's why he asked that. And it's it's not a rude thing to be able to do it, but I say we celebrate all. Very special. And you should be applauded for being a mother that's
0: that's thinking. Oh, about no, I'm those stuffing things them up in other <laughs> ways. Don't you worry. There'll I be definitely enough for it. them to
1: sit on a therapist's couch and go, my mum. <laughs> Time will tell. Yeah, yeah. But resilient is our favourite word. So I was like, well, no matter what your mum does, you have to be resilient. So you'll be fine.
0: <laughs> Speaking of success from a career per- perspective, though, why do you think you've been so successful
1: in radio? I love my job there's definitely a passion I've never um, wanted to stop learning and I've never ever thought at the end of the day gee I nailed that I constantly have a desire of going what else could I do Um, I would actually say that I thank everyone that's ever listened to the show because I feed so much off my listeners and that's probably why I love having social media is to have contact with them but I always think it's such a privy, uh, like they've always allowed um, to listen to me. Do you know they've always been interested in my life so I always feel like I've got a fascination of listening to their life. So I generally have such an interest when people call up and we've always sort of created that show. Um, I didn't really nail that, did I, of why I've been success. It's really hard Mm, to put put, put it down. But um, I I guess it's just always having that passion. And that interest as well and I guess that's what I'm saying. Like I'm – well, I'm nosy to be honest but I'm so fascinated by other people's lives that I've still got that passion and that desire and that drive to still continue to do the radio show and it's never a chore to go to work. I mean, look, don't get me wrong, when the alarm goes off sometimes you At 3.30 oh. in the morning. Yeah, but it's not. A, it's not a chore. It's something that I still love and I think the moment when I don't love it anymore – is honestly the moment where you need to pass it on to someone who does.
0: I agree. And I really admire the people who are willing to do that because it's actually a huge, I think we all want to act like, I'd happily pass the baton on if I feel I've had enough. But really, who wants to do that and give up the reins? But I do think it's an important quality that we're all willing to let go if we've fallen out of love with it.
1: Yeah, and it is hard. And I think when you're just sort of doing, oh, we're just doing it for money or we're doing it for a job, if there's people out there that are passionate and want to do it more, then you've got to find something else.
0: I agree. I would assume that part of the reason you are good at your job but also love your work so much still would be the people you work with. Mm. Everyone would attest to the fact that colleagues really make a work environment. You've been on air with Stav for Yonks. Maddie's more of a new addition, but you guys had worked together in the past. Obviously, instant connection. You holiday together. You're really good mates. I've spoken to the boys about you and why they think you're successful.
1: (laughs) They're probably scared of me, so they wrote nice things, but yep. (laughs) I
0: I think maybe they were scared of me, to be honest, when I asked the question. (laughs) When I say
1: I run a tight ship, I probably do the same at work, that I do at home. (laughs) Your
0: mum, Abby, even when you're there. yeah. They both used one... Uh, word that was the same to describe you. Both of them, the first word they used to describe you was passionate. And that's something we've just covered completely. You are so passionate about your job. Stav also says you're motivated and you're caring. And he said that Abby's successful at anything she does because when she sets her mind to something, she has a laser beam focus and just will not stop until she's done. In brackets, you know, like the Terminator.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I love a challenge and I'm, highly competitive. Um, so I guess that's why it will still, I'll still, yeah, continue to do it. But yeah, once I fix my mind on it.
0: Do you consider yourself really focused?
1: Yeah, I am. Yeah. Cause I always go, I'm a real goal orientated person and Stav working with him me the years, bless him. Um, he, I think every time he knows what's to get me for a birthday present, cause he just gets me stationary and goal things cause he knows how much I love it. So the first of the month he always goes like happy first of the month because that's my time to reset and write down all the goals and I'm like who cares if you didn't achieve them from last month but this is a new time to do it Um, and I just think it's such a rewarding thing to cross things off that list List, and I used to do it when I was on maternity leave and even so much when I go pick up the vacuum, cross, (laughs) vacuum, cross (laughs) and you tick off that list so that you have that satisfaction. So by that, yeah, I'd be very goal-orientated and motivated.
0: Maddie's words so passionate. He also said kind and unhinged. (laughs) (laughs) He said in a good way.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that would probably do that.
0: I love what Maddie said about you. He said, I think Abby has a great view of the bigger picture which is an interesting thing to say when Stav says you're very focused because of, often it's hard to mm. to see that bigger picture. That's the key to her success. She has natural talent, which we all know and we do because we listen to you on the radio, and she isn't always self-focused, which I think is a huge compliment because all of us can be pretty vain and self-centred. She's amazing at getting the best out of others and that's why everything she touches turns to gold and you've even covered this, that working with other talent on air, you enjoyed trying to get the best out of other people. How do you not be so self-focused all the time?
1: Because I find it embarrassing, to be honest. I've never watched myself on TV and if I do, I'm quite critical of it. So going out in after drama school, I was terrible at auditioning. I hated it. I just was never really good at it. And I think, One way to get it out of being so, you know, you you know yourself when you're performing, when you're in your head and you go, oh, why did I stuff up on that word? Oh, my God, I can't believe I did that. And it's just downhill after that. (laughs) And you need to have that ability to stop and reset. And for me, I guess to get over my nerves or get over me questioning and keep saying that I'm not good enough was to focus on other people. When you can really focus on other people, you start listening. And when you listen more, you do better because there's so many people that work in the industry and they're waiting for the other person to stop talking so that they can talk. Um, And, of course, I'm terrible because I talk over the top of people. But I'm really fascinated when one of the boys are telling something and I feel like I know where they want to get to as well and maybe how people will be perceived. And, you know, occasionally I'll say to Manny, hey, don't say that, Manny. I know that you don't mean anything bad by that, but don't say that. It just doesn't sound good. And I know Maddie so well and I know his good qualities and he's not going to come on air and maybe talk about how wonderful he has been bringing up um, his his oldest son. But I know that's it. So if I bring it up for him to lead him into it, then people can see that beautiful side and when they fall in love with him, like I love him as well, then we're all going to succeed as a show. And I think that's what he might mean or hopefully mean by Bring out the best you know and staff has the best one-liners so it's allowing him to do that as opposed to forcing him to do other content break and I think that's by the biggest picture is that I've worked with teams that I know in the past we weren't going to succeed and you've kind of said it to management but they know best and I f- feel at a point now and over the years that I'm now older and more stubborn to say, that's not going to work, it actually isn't going to work, we're not going to do it. And when you say it with that confidence and you tell the management what you need, you're backing yourself and it's such an attractive quality and it's something that men do really well that I think more women need to do and are starting to get. But it's funny when you see, you know, big names coming to the radio station where i are going to be number one and the bosses really buy it. <laughs> and, it's, you know, it's that confidence to sort of go, this is what I want in a show. This is what works. This is the producers that we need. This person, unfortunately, lovely, not working.
0: Very true. And mm. blokes have that confidence in spades. Yeah. And um, it's something I'm definitely working on.
1: I did have, i recently going into contract negotiations this last time and I had a uh, someone say to me, you, you get paid okay for a girl. And I, wow. And it's weird, isn't it? Like years ago I would have just went, oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Awesome. Went, I'm going to stop you right there. It's really rude to say, you've got daughters, I'm going to walk out and when you want to talk about it better, then we will because it's not about males, it's not about females, it's just about what I'm giving you of how many years I've been here and how underpaid i got in the past. But I wouldn't have had that confidence to do years ago and it's those things where I encourage women to be able to do. It's not even a rude way. I didn't stamp off, I didn't go to HR. I just said, I'm going to give you a moment to have a think about how (laughs) that came across.
0: One of the biggest male influences in your life is obviously your husband. Yeah. Scotty, and you got married before moving to Queensland. This year would have been your tenth wedding
1: anniversary. Well, it still is, but we were going to celebrate. I didn't. Sorry, <laughs> yeah. it's still you've <laughs> still been married. Is for 10 it years. was going to be, but we're just getting divorced after COVID. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's no. Yeah,
0: you were planning on heading overseas to celebrate yeah. at the end of the year, which, given coronavirus, you won't be doing. Nope. How would you say he has spurred your success?
1: He – I've been highly strung and I've been – I was really troubled teacher uh, – uh, teacher. I was a really troubled um, – I was a really troubled teenager, I should say. Um, I had drug issues, had eating disorders, went to rehabs. I was very unhinged. And when I met him – how to get it really teary actually. Um, when I met him, I was for the first time honest about – eating disorders. And I never forget, he just goes, I really like you. We're not going to do that anymore. And I was like, wow. Okay. And that was our first stage. And I never would have admitted that to anyone as well, even though I know that my you know family knew what I'd been through, but it was just like, we're not going to do that anymore. And ever since that moment, we've actually been a team and I've always struggled to hang out with people for long times, like boyfriends and all that boys want my own space. And f- with him, i think I stayed at his house he probably had to keep me out um because I never wanted to leave him it was just that real that comfort and that peace that I think I was looking for yeah
0: and 10 years down the track well since marriage because you were together before getting married you've now got three boys you've been very open about your family life and about having kids what's that journey been like together
1: uh it's been a bit hard we um We had a lot of miscarriages on the way and I think that was probably our marriage breaking point, the first miscarriage, because he was away and he was like, oh, okay, no worries, and that's his response, tragedy. And he was working away and I had to get a friend to take me to hospital um, for a curette, and then he didn't call or text and I was so resentful and honestly did not even go to therapy for it until about three years later and although we had you know a great marriage to it it was it was kind of going there and saying I was just so hurt that you weren't there for me and hearing his response of I was away for work I wanted to get the job done to quickly go home and he's such a science-based person but he's like well if the baby wasn't supposed to be it wasn't supposed to be so when and, – and ever since we both learnt from different perspectives, my husband doesn't have the overwhelming emotions I do. But he has the logic and I have learnt not to resent him for not having the emotion because he's never judged me for not having the logic. So it's having that balance and that understanding and I then from having more miscarriages, he was 100% there because he's like, I didn't get how much it is affecting you but you also never – told and shared me with me as much.
0: Communication's the key.
1: Yeah, but it's also learning how to communicate. Yeah. Because we communicate in such a different way and as silly as it is, I would never give up drinking because we share over a glass of wine because that's our thing. That's when my husband has had, I've ticked off work, I'm sitting down, I'm relaxing. So that's when we will talk or we'll talk when we're cooking because he needs to be moving. So it's learning how people communicate as opposed to my husband's not going to have a deep and meaningful as soon as he walks in in the door, which is lucky because I don't like talking as well. (laughs) But it's learning how to communicate. And when you've got different upbringings and you've got different experiences, just because you love each other doesn't mean that you're just going to completely fold into each other's communication pattern. You know, you need to learn how they do it. And it's like I said, I've always said, I think my husband's always said, I feel. And when you hear people talk about that, you kind of go, oh, wait a minute, they are different. So it's having that understanding so that we can be on the same wavelength.
0: That's some awesome relationship advice. We still advice. fight
1: though, hey.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I always say the secret is to learn how to fight well. 100%. Because you're going to fight. You fight with everyone but you yeah. need to fight well and get out of it and that's often not in the middle of the fight. It's it is awful. later yeah. over a glass of wine when everyone's settled and the kids are in bed and you can actually 100%. debrief properly. And it's good to
1: teach kids as well. Like I always go, Dad and I are having a disagreement. It's not a big fight and we are going to work it out. And I have learned that if they can see you have some sort of, um, you know, resolution, then it's good for them to work out rather than going, "Oh my god, I never want to have confrontation."
0: That's well, my theory anyway. I agree. <laughs> I've got a one-year-old and I get very defensive over her seeing us fine I freak out about it. <laughs> You're but like, no. I'm on that journey of figuring out how to navigate yeah. that and reassure her that it's okay. Mummy and Daddy love each other. We are out of time, if you can believe it. Abby, thank you so much for joining me for my 30 minutes. I'll put the details in the show notes so people can find you online and follow you and connect with you. I know you love connecting with your listeners, but we always know where we can find you, b 105 each morning from 6am. Abby, thank you so much. Thank you.